Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Very Not Random. This is part two of our interview with Stefan Roche covering CrossFit as it relates to the world of strength and conditioning. So in case you missed it, go back, listen or watch last week's episode, which will be part one. Then you'll have all the groundwork to enjoy this episode, which is our conclusion of our interview with Stefan Roche. And what I'd say is, is yeah, you don't, you shouldn't buy anything. You shouldn't just buy right. it. But yeah, uh, the best, the best, uh, I think recourse there is that the coaches come to the weight room. So when the coaches came to the weight room and we were doing an actual, like a uh, Cindy or something like that, and they saw people just moving and not stopping and, and us barking out, making sure the technique was good. And then it was just constant. Actually, they loved it. They loved it. And then they, people were writing scores on a board and they were like, this is awesome. You know, we're competing in the weight room. This is what we need to be doing and, and all that stuff. But I, I've got a question <laughs> again from not being a collegiate athlete myself. I just assumed that the coaches would be in the weight room and checking it. Is that hit or miss? Rarely. Yeah. Actually, oh, really? Rarely. Yeah. <laughs> rarely in the weight room during, uh, during, uh, I guess list. they've got other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does that, does that go the opposite with direction too? You know, like, is it uncommon for a strength and condition coach to attend a practice or a game or whatever? Like, are those worlds kind of separate? So more and more it's becoming that the strength and conditioning coach is assigned to, so a basketball team will have their own strength coach. And I'm talking at the, at the bigger schools that have the ability to have a, quite a few strength coaches. So a basketball strength coach will work with the basketball team and maybe a couple other teams, but the main focus will be with the basketball team. When I was at UCLA with baseball, I had a couple of teams. My, my, my main focus was the baseball team. So I was at practice for baseball mm-hmm. and I worked guys out before and after a, a basketball strength coach will warm them up and cool them down and maybe lift some guys. There's always, I think football is a sport where there's always been a strength coach at practice. Um, hmm. so you'll have some sport coaches that just are interested and they'll come in and they'll watch, uh, you know, the, the baseball coach at UCLA was quite often actually in the weight room, never said anything, you know, very, very okay. good about, about, he was just there to see his guys. He wants to know what's going on. It's his program. Like yes. what Bob is saying, he wants the knowledge of, of everything, every aspect of the program to make sure guys are working hard. And that's what I thought would be somewhat normal, obviously, you know, not just hanging out there for two hours, standing in the corner, bored to tears, but, but, you know, wandering in, wandering out, like, Hey, this is your team. Let this, you know, let's make sure that things are heading in the right direction. So yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. Um, well, there's so many, couple different areas. I want (laughs) to, I want to go here. Let's, Let's let's circle back to the baseball one before I, I take us down a rabbit hole. And I know that you're quite familiar with baseball, but you can take this in a different direction if you want. Because one a classic question that would would happen is, okay, if CrossFit is your strength and conditioning program to make you excel at your sport, and of course we used to say this all the time at seminars, like you can do all the CrossFit you want, doesn't mean that you can hit a fastball with a baseball. Like that, you still have to practice your sport. It is what it is, but it's your strength and conditioning so that you can be durable, resilient, strong, powerful, and excel out there. What does in-season training look like versus off-season? You know, because that baseball schedule that you just said is like, what, four games a week for months yeah. in a row. I'm sure they're tired. Are they training on those off days? So what's in-season versus off-season look like? <laughs> Um, so I'll take a, a note from, from coach Glassman, uh, on one of his very early posts 
on it on the website. If you go way back into the archives, he says, if you are doing our program in conjunction with another sport, then it is okay to go through the motions in our program. And by that is basically what we're doing is we are using intensity and volume as levers Mm -hmm. that we can modulate based on the athlete, based on um, the week, uh, based on how deep in the season you are, the importance of the competition that's coming up. So many factors in there. But you have to understand that your strength and conditioning will take a back seat to the sport practices and competition. And so your job as a strength coach is to figure out a way with less time and um, probably less frequency. So not only shorter workouts, but less days working out mm-hmm. um, in addition to all this extra volume from competition and practice, how can I keep these guys strong? Right motivated and all those physical qualities you said powerful explosive through this long season right we're not peaking for one thing we got to be good on the first game of the season and then the middle of the season and you definitely got to be good on the last game mm-hmm. of the season um how, what's your plan to maintain that and so it, it took a while I, I you know i've had great influences in my in my career i mentioned josh everett just watching how he was dealing with athletes one hallmark of josh everett's teams is they were always better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season oh, oh wow. interesting okay yeah he's just he's a smart smart coach and he has yeah. a he played he played uh, football in college and he did track in college and I really think that track influence helped them a lot because track athletes are very good at um, switching. So when track becomes the main focus, track season comes, strength and condition goes down, but you mm. need those explosive qualities. You need to, mm-hmm. so they're very good at doing the minimum amount of work to maintain that, uh, that level. And so I, I stole from him and, you know, uh, coach Bergner's genius at this. So it really became my philosophy was we're going to work hard, but short. Okay. To, to piggyback on that, I think that's really interesting that when you talk about like the levers of volume and intensity, but the kind of underlying assumption there is that you're still exposing the team to a broad range of movements and skills and things like that. And it seems like there's a philosophical divergence there from a lot of strength and conditioning coaches. It seems like you kind of fall into one camp or the other. Camp number one is specificity is the only thing that matters and I'm only going to do the things that the team is already strong at in the weight room. Or you take the opposite approach where you're like, my opportunity in the weight room is to shore up the things that they don't get through their natural sport practice. So can you speak to those mindsets a little bit? And, and yeah, kind of I think where you I was fall? in the opposite camp because my feeling was I'm not going to do a ton of med ball throws and ballistic jumps and sprints with a baseball team where they are doing throws Mm. and swings and sprints to the bases and sprints after baseballs in practice and in games they're doing, I don't need plows for me. You're getting it in your game. So I was doing the other stuff, you know, five sets of one back squat just to maintain a basic level of of strength, very low volume, but we would hit 90% on that last set. We would touch heavy weight. Um, 
do, do little circuits that would condition them enough. So, you know, you talk about Cindy, I think Cindy's a great uh, workout for athletes because we've got to push a pull and a, and a squat and great mm-hmm. movement patterns for mobility for, we'll talk about uh, baseball players, but a push up works their whole, you know, upper back works the shoulder blades and in, in exactly the, the way you want it to move. And then, uh, you know, the pull-ups are a great thing for keeping you, keeping you strong. Um, all over the place. Great. I mean, core exercise, pulling exercise, grip exercise, everything's going on there. And so in a 10 minute Cindy at a moderate pace, you get what I would, I guess, I guess if you looked at the West side guys, that would be their, their hypertrophy work or their repetition work. So now I've done five sets of one in the back squat, a nice moderate Cindy and that athlete is not getting weaker, right? Losing Mm. weight, you know, but I didn't kill but they leave that weight room feeling better than when they came in. Yeah. They're not ground out. Yeah. Right. Because if we watch those squats, so five sets of one, when I say 90% mentally, it looks like 90%. I don't really care about the number I'm looking at. Okay. Was there a strain? Was there a strain in that squat? But obviously the technique is very important. I'm not, yeah, your knees came in and you rounded your back, but dude, you got it. No, it's not that kind of squat. It's like you've maintained your perfect technique that we're looking for, but yeah, that bar path was slow, even though you had great effort in it. That's what I wanted to see some strain in there. And then the, the constant, constant harping on the technique on, uh, on the Cindy that those pull-ups were all the way down. I want full range of motion in that yeah. arm. I want to see the push-ups go all the way down and come all the way up. If you need to take a little breather, that's fine. And then your air squat, I mean, ankle, knee, hip mobility, and mm-hmm. then thoracic, uh, you're holding the thoracic position in there. I mean, there's so much going on in that, in that movement pattern. Uh, I would just, just the fact that I think, you know, I think CrossFit taught me the air squat. We always did them, but really I didn't understand what air, air squat was till it got broken down by CrossFit baseball players at UCLA probably did a hundred thousand air squats while I was there. Cause we did them every <laughs> single day. Every awesome. single day. Yeah. You know, you, uh, you touched on something which I love and I think is another hallmark of a great coach or trainer. And that was, The ability to understand that some things are a moving target. So, you know, when you said they were back squatting and you're looking at 90%, it wasn't necessarily their historical number. You know, are we in week one of the season or near the end of the season? And now what's quote unquote heavy on one week isn't necessarily heavy on the next week. But if the effort level is there, then the stimulus was met. You know, that is a successful day in the gym. The athlete's healthy, healthy. They benefited from the training. They don't potentially feel um, discouraged had you told them you've got to hit 90% of your lifetime number today. And they're like, coach, it's the end of the seat. Like, I don't care. It's 90% today. Yeah. You might then crush that motivation of that team. Then the weight room yeah. becomes a place that I don't want to go. And yeah. into the toilet we descend. Yeah, I I also think that there's a lesson in there for just the average person where you're talking about, okay, you have a really busy schedule with your main focus, in this case being baseball. You know, you know that the weight room is going to be limited in time and intensity. And so the goal is to get in, get something useful, and then leave, and you said it best, leave feeling better than when you came in. I feel like that applies to like every busy 
working professional, oh, every yeah. mom that's like, Absolutely. you know, got kids to worry about, everybody who's got a real life with real responsibilities. And those start to crowd out that, you know, when you're young and you're like, well, I spend two hours in the gym every day and then I go back in the evenings to stretch. It's like awesome. But nobody's got that time after, you know, life starts piling up. But I think that same approach is so important. And what I see a lot of times is the opposite mindset starts to creep in. People are like, I need to be just beat up in the gym. I need to like, because I don't have much time, I need every session to be just like this death march. And, uh, and it's interesting that I think that's, that's 100% the opposite of the mindset that should be adopted. So I, that, that's I where agree. my brain goes anyway. I agree. And the same thing goes with um, workouts on game day. I mean, that's almost heresy, mm. but... I would, you know, I, I think I learned that from Ethan Reeve. I think I, there's a, a phenomenal strength coach at Oregon uh, named Coach Radcliffe. And they would do these just very quick 15 to 20 minute workouts. And they'd have a list of things they wanted to get in there. Maybe uh, like an explosive lift, like a, a light clean or a snatch or a swing. And then they'd want a squatting movement. It could be a lunging movement pattern or an air squat or a light back squat, that type of thing. They wanted a pull and a push. Um, and they want some kind of, of core work, you know, a toaster bar or an L sit or whatever you, you could, you could fill those buckets however you want, but it was a 20 minute workout. So it really got the, a, it gave you another chance to, to touch those athletes. So you would be able to warm them up and cool them down. You had another contact time with those athletes, but it also got them energized and fired up for the, you know, for the competition that was coming, they would do this a couple hours before the game and, and it, uh, improved performance. And, and so there's a lot yeah, of yeah. ways to do these workouts. So you, you just have to communicate what your vision is to the coach. Cause sometimes when a coach, coach here squat, we're going to squat before the game. He has this vision of like mm, yeah. six plates on the bar and guys shouting at each other and spotting each other. But when you're just talking about, I'm going to loosen them up. So when you get them in warm up, they're moving like they're crazy. Ready. They're, they're explosive yep. in there. They're, it's like a pre-warm. Yeah. So, I think there was actually a lot of like old Russian literature that used to support that where they would take athletes and they would, like even using traditional kind of lifts like squats and deadlifts, they would with a really quick ramp up, they'd work up to like 85%, like for a quick single. And then 10 minutes later, you're on the field. Yeah. And it was to the, the, with the express intent to excite the nervous system, yeah. not to yeah. suppress it, not to, to, you know, work to the point of fatigue or anything like that, but to light you up and you're like, okay, now it's game on. Yeah. And then you go do what you got to do. So yeah. interesting. I was, I was give the analogy to guys, uh, you know, to explain that to them, I'd say, well, you, you know, when you come in the weight room early in the morning, you pick up the 45 pound bar and you're like, God, this thing's heavy. And you put it in your <laughs> yeah. but then when you're done your workout, you pick it up and you put it away. That's your nervous system. That's different. You didn't magically get stronger in here, but that's what we're talking mm. about. We're firing up that nervous system and it makes a difference. That's a great, yeah. that's a great way to say it. So that's largely in season. Is it off season? Just green light, whatever you need to do, go do it. It really depends on the sport. Um, so football is very much structured in the terms of, okay, so in season they do, they do their lifts. They usually have two lifts a week. You're probably going to lift. Um, you might lift on Sunday cause it's right after the game. I'd prefer the Monday lift to give them the Sunday off for a few reasons. A they're, they're student athletes, right? So if you lift on Sunday, they actually have no day off during the week, right? Mm. So they're going to practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, game uh, Friday, and then game Saturday. And then if you lift them Sunday, you just took up their whole week. So I was like, 
I'll see you Monday. We'll lift. You won't be as sore. We'll get a good lift in. And then, um, that'll be your heavy lift for the week. And then Thursday usually was a lighter lift just to get them moving and, and get that second lift for the week. So football's usually got that programmed in, um, a lot of it. So as a collegiate strength coach, a lot of your smaller sports, I'd say anything that's not basketball, football, um, and then female version of, uh, you know, female basketball and then, uh, volleyball is another one where you could get athletes who stayed those athletes leave, uh, during the summer. So you don't see them. So they're at home lifting. So you don't really monitor, you don't really have control of that program. Mm. You monitor a little bit, but, but you don't, you're not working them out. If you have a, a, a culture, we built a culture at, at USD and a lot of it had to do with how summer school was run there. It wasn't, it wasn't just because of us and also what coaches were saying, but there were times where we had a hundred athletes come through the weight room on a, on a day in the summer, Oh, which really? is, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, that's a big deal. So, um, if you can get that, then yeah, you're, it's pretty much free reign with what you, what your parameters are in the summer. Think of it about uh, as the perfect GPP time where you're far away from competition. Now you have to keep in mind, football is going to report in August. Volleyball is going to report in August. So, you know, as your summer comes along, those teams start doing a little bit different stuff. Maybe you give them a little more breaks and stuff, but really up until that July 4th weekend in the summer. Wow. What a, what a blast. There's really not much you can't do with those guys. And then the football culture, we used to, we used to have fun with them right up to right up to the week before camp. And then they get that week off. So we would leave them with a memorable workout on the last day of the summer. And it <laughs> memorable. Was, oh, so my, my, is that, is that code name for really sore? Is that, that's that's code for you're going to need this week <laughs> my conditioning workout i got it from josh everett through ethan reed but my conditioning workout for a football team was one hour of cleans two reps on the minute for 60 minutes because it really it's a football game so if you think about a football game plays mm. are about six seconds long or whatever. And then you get the rest of, you know, you get 45 seconds of rest and an average offense or defensive player will play about 60 plays in a game. So wow. we treated each set as a play mm, all yep. out bar speed, aggressive rip that bar. And it could be a power clean, hand clean. It could be two power cleans. We, we mixed it up, but it was aggressive and moving the weight. We started with set weights with the, some of the players. So you have your quarterbacks might be at 225 or 185, depending on their skill level. I just wanted a good, clean, smooth technique and, and good speed on the bar. When we started your uh, bigger athletes, like a, a linebacker, a running back, a fullback might have 245 on the bar. And then your lineman D line O line might have 265 on the bar. And then they had a choice depending on how they felt in there. They would just continue with that weight for the 60 minutes. So two reps every minute for the 60 minutes at that weight, or they could increase as they went on whatever schedule of increase they wanted. And you'd have guys PR. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Sense, wow. but they PR at the end of this thing. And, uh, that was, that was my conditioner for the, for the end of the summer because, and, and that's, have, 
the whole team doing it together at the same time. That's so awesome. So oh, that's great, cool. man. I, yeah. I can like put myself there. That is, oh, that's yeah. we cool. Had bars. I mean, you remember how the weight room was at USD. We had yep. bars lined up and it was like, and it was three, two, one, go. Everybody oh, I love it exploded it. and then uh, weights being lifted and dropped and lifted and dropped and then quiet and guys monitor. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm good. Yep. <laughs> who's hanging on? Who's falling <laughs> out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's love cool. I, I think in that situation with like a, a couple power cleans at 265, I'd probably touch and go them, Boz. I don't know if you'd drop from the top with 275. Well, you know, probably the first 10 or so just to <laughs> feel it out. And then. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, I don't want to get hit by one of those human beings on a football field. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, I was just to say that in the summer, Summer was, you know, I hate to say, I don't want to say it's CrossFit because I don't want people to have the wrong idea. CrossFit is constantly varied functional movement, execute at high intensity, but there's a thousand ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And so was it, was it pure workout of the day from the main site CrossFit? No, but it had the tenants and there were definitely named workouts from CrossFit that were used as competitions in the summer. So yes, there was Cindy. Yes, there was Fran. Fran might be done with dumbbells though. You know, absolutely. You know, I wasn't beholden to anything other than, Hey, this is basically what we want to see in this workout. Um, the chief, once I got, once I got comfortable with cleans and I knew they had good air squats and, and we knew the form would be good. That was, that was like one of these things, like this team's ready. That was exciting for us. And for them, when they got the chief, they were like, Oh yeah, that's the deal. That, so it's one that. of my all-time favorite workouts. Great so for athletes. Good. Uh, yeah. Great for athletes. You got the rest time in there, so you mm-hmm. can recuperate, and then now you're pushing again. It's there's so many levels in that workout that are great for athletes. That no, nah, I just loved it. I loved it. But yeah, so the summer, hey, any anything that we could come up with, um, it was it was pretty much. And every year we tried to one up ourselves. You know, we were like, well, what would we do last year? So well. Let's go buy some sleds. <laughs> These guys need sleds this year. So yeah. we get sleds. Uh, how about some tires with sledgehammers? Okay, why those? You know, it's just fun. That's the that's the fun part of it. How can you expand? So they come back. You know, you got your seniors coming back for their fourth, for their third, whatever fourth summer, and uh, they kind of think they know what what to expect, and you just blow their doors off a couple times. It's nice. <laughs> that's fun. awesome. Yeah. So. I mean, this is such a unique perspective. I think it's rare that you get to talk to somebody whose professional experience is so guided. You know, we talked to a lot of affiliate owners and and I think that certainly from my experience, that's kind of where it lies. How or what kind of advice would you give to people that are in the affiliate day to day? They coach there or they're an owner or whatever, and they get approached by an athlete or a team where they want to approach an athlete or a team to try to, you know, get in on some of their conditioning to help them with their non-sport specific work. How, how would you recommend that those interactions take, take place? Uh, first, definitely want to develop a relationship. So, um, I think one of the best ways to get in. So I, the way I look at it here is if I had an affiliate out here, one of the things I'd really enjoy is going to a local high school and just being, can I help? Can I help out? And I've done it here with my, uh, with my son's high school, um, a few times. And, you know, I, I enjoy that. You want to develop a relationship with the, the, 
strength staff or football staff or whoever's running the, the, the workouts. Um, we're assuming it's a, it's a high school here. Um, just by, by being around. So they know you just, just be involved in the community so that they know who you are. And, uh, and then from there, very conservative approach, I think is the best. So I'll give an example. I, I had a training uh, order for my athletes where, uh, again, borrowed from Josh Everett. Um, maybe he should have been here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I taught the air squat first and then the front squat and then the back squat. And then slowly on down the pressing movements, the strict press, the push press, the push jerk, the jerk, and on down till I, till they had a good capacity and in all the movements that I wanted them to understand it, it culminated with obviously cleans and snatches. I would, I would just come in with the idea of teaching basic skills, not coming in. I'm going to install a CrossFit program in here, but I'm going to teach base. I'm just another coach on the floor teaching. So, you know, if you go into this gym and they're using machines, you maybe you should find a different spot, right? That's probably not the spot you want to be in. You're not going to really be able to change. Well, maybe you could, but this go find somewhere where they're at least familiar with movement patterns that you want to coach mm -hmm. go in there and just coach the basic movement patterns. It doesn't look like, I mean, but that's still CrossFit if you understand, right? Because we're, we're yeah. doing functional movements. I, I hate, I hate CrossFit being labeled as like, crazy fast workouts right. and then you're dead at the end. You know, I, I try to avoid that, that uh, perception of that's all that CrossFit is. If I walk into a high school gym and I see kids, you know, practicing their squats and someone and another kid is coaching them saying, I'll oh, get a little bit lower. I'm like, I'm home. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bench press. But yes, absolutely. All that stuff. So just become involved in that. And then slowly it's almost like, I'm just going to bring you some different ideas. I mean, hmm. everybody's seen CrossFit now, so it shouldn't be foreign to them. Um, my first workout for my, all my, any team that I wanted to just slowly get into, um, that kind of mindset was, uh, a three, six, nine Cindy. So three pull-ups, six push-ups, nine air squats, no timeline on it. I didn't know how long we were going to go. I usually went 12 minutes or so. I didn't, I didn't tell them to count the rounds. I didn't tell them anything. I said, your form has to be perfect. You rest mm. when rest as needed. And that would be the first one. And then we would build it from there. Yeah. You yeah. Did, guys did great on that. So this time we'll go a little bit faster. See how many, just personally see how many rounds you can get in that 12 minutes, but remember your form has to be perfect and it would build, it would build from there. The form has yeah. to be perfect. Never went away. Yeah. I think that might be the hardline mindset that somebody from the outside looking in is going to have a hard time combating is, is like this fear that CrossFit is this established thing. There's only one way to do it. And if I let my athletes loose on that, they're going to somehow just you know, be seduced by the dark side, mm -hmm. so to speak. And they, <laughs> and there's no room to yeah. interpret that or, or moderate it. And so, yeah, I bet you that it probably yeah. ruined, it, it probably creates more false starts than anything else. Well, and, and people yeah. don't realize that it, the tenant of CrossFit is mechanics, consistency, and only then intensity. Everything that Stefan's saying is an adherence to the mechanics first, and then we build. Sure. Yeah. And what's great about the collegiate environment, I mean, the realities of the collegiate environment are, as the strength coach and your portion of this commitment to a team, do not hurt people, mm -hmm. do not hurt people. And so it made mechanics consistent in intensity and a conservative approach, the way you do business. 
I think it works. It actually works really well. I mean, we talked about the chief or, or whatever kind of CrossFit workouts, those guys were ready for them. The, mm-hmm. the, the guys and the girls who were doing those workouts, they were ready for them because they had sat there for hours doing plate squats and air squats and us not letting anything go. And we never, we never did. And when, and when technique went bad, um, you know, the little flaws started to creep up, we got on it. And I think, yeah, if you think about the value of CrossFit and Pat, we were talking about this before we got on, it's not cheering a guy on to go finish the workout, no matter how he gets it done. Mm-hmm. The value of CrossFit as the coach is let him push himself at his, at the speed he's going very few athletes. Well, you, yes, you have to push athletes sometimes, but most athletes go too fast. I'll say this. All right. Mm-hmm. Most athletes go too fast for their technical ability. It's coaching that athlete to keep the technique under fatigue while they, this is the last thing they want to do, right? That's mental mm-hmm. toughness. And that's conditioning. Conditioning to me is being able to have the appropriate technique for the task under fatigue and transfer that to sports. You know, if I'm an O lineman, can I stay up in my position instead of leaning over and get bull run by a D lineman because I'm tired as a wrestler is my single or double leg takedown in the last you know, moments of this match as aggressive and sharp Mm -hmm. and deep as going through the opponent as it is, you know, when I'm fresh, if you can't perform fatigued with excellent technique, you're going to lose to someone who can. And so, so well said. Yeah. When I was conditioned, yeah. When I was conditioning athletes, it wasn't like, go, 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 go faster, faster, faster. They were taking care of that. I mean, these guys, right. (laughs) These guys are kicking ass, man. They're built for competition. I didn't have to be like, I rarely had to push anyone to go faster. It was more like, good, good, good. Elbows through elbows through elbows through get, get a little bit deeper, sit for me, sit for me, you know, and really coaching them. So that had, they had the technique because to me, the value was like the first time I saw you that do that workout, man, you were all over the place with that mm-hmm. technique. Really. We had to lighten the load. We had to stop you. And now you are getting through this. You're better. You are for sure better. And I know that's going to transfer to the field because what's that athlete been thinking in, in their head, right? They're not, they might be thinking, God, one more rep, but really they're focused on their technique. Like this coaches, if you see changes in technique, they're focused on that, getting the knees out in the squat, not letting them collapse, hitting the depth, getting the elbows through on the clean. And if you see them making these adjustments while they're fatigued, you know that they're incorporating information and then delivering the change. They're going to do that in the game, right? A coach is yelling at them. What's a coach yelling at them to do, you know? stay tall or sit back, whatever it is. And then to me, there's a direct transfer to to sports in there. You know, not being a strength and collegiate coach at a, uh, you know, for, for colleges, I'm certainly not. I look at sports, human movement, which I've been doing for years. And I see very few sports. I don't even care if you lump billiards in there. I mean, very few sports that <laughs> I don't sport. <laughs> that darts, you know, that that I don't think that person would benefit from deadlifting. They would benefit from squatting. They would benefit from sprinting. You know, like I think there are just some unif- universal metrics that just apply to human beings looking to accomplish tasks on, on planet Earth. You've spoken at great lengths uh, about good ways good ways to do it. When you and I were setting up before this podcast, you're like, don't get me wrong. It can be done improperly. 
You know, so what, <laughs> so what are some, you know, how could CrossFit be applied improperly? What are some common pitfalls maybe to avoid to help keep people on the right track? I, I think we, you know, we touched on it um, when we said they have to be ready for the intensity. You absolutely have to be, because if you look at a traditional strength and conditioning program, the intensity is really the weight on the bar, right? And so that's an obvious thing. Yeah, he's not ready for that because his knees are buckling, back surrounding, or he didn't make the lift. Mm -hmm. It becomes a little bit different in in a CrossFit workout where they start in in round one or minute one with great technique, and then this is going to crash and burn as they you know as they fatigue because they don't have the foundation of the mechanics and that consistency of the mechanics to hold on to that. Um, and also the mental toughness, like the first time you do a CrossFit workout, you don't know what the hell just happened to you. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a new, this is, this is different, especially when you, uh, incorporate some type of monostructural conditioning, like a run with lifting. That's very different if you've never done Mm -hmm. that before. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's really, it's like any other skill get them good at the basics, get them good at the fundamentals, do it slowly. I mean, I was a police officer and, and yes, I didn't get the training you did, Pat. So I would be an embarrassment to you at the range, but, um, we learned sight picture in a classroom with me. I think it might've been our guns, but obviously not loaded or blue guns Mm -hmm. training guns how to bring it up and okay, you're looking to line this up. And then we learn manipulation drills on our, on our handguns for weeks before we even went into the range. When we went in the range, we knew how to load that thing. We knew how to point it. We knew how to shoot it. And then the drills we started with were very, very slow. You are going to take it out of your holster. You are going to find your sight picture and you're going to pull the trigger one time. And then you will put it back in your holster and everybody will stay, stop. And, you know, it's the same approach with any skill that, that is complex in any way, start slow, and really get good at it. And, and the the thing is that it's not like there's ever a point where you say, well, they're good enough. Let's go. Now, now we can just do it. You're always (laughs) monitoring, right? Because Mm -hmm. my guys who, and and girls who were on, on these teams, that got really good at these workouts. Yeah. Then they just did them faster. And so you still had to monitor or they did with heavier weight. You know, I think my, my first year at USD, my default weight for a cleaner hand clean was 135. By the time I left there a few years later, I would be doing these workouts that back before were with 135 with 80 kilos, so 175 or 185. Mm-hmm. So I mean, again, you were still challenging me. You still had to have it was the same, same thought process. They were just way better. Just you gotta, you gotta. You got to pay attention to that technique. The the biggest lesson I ever learned in strength and conditioning was technique is what transfers to the field. So you're training athletes here and you want results on the field. That's the goal. And for the a small portion of my career to learn this lesson, my the results I was looking for was just better improvement in the weight room. Well, your clean went from right, 200 right. to 205. So I'm doing my job and your back squat went from, you know, 315 to 355. So I'm being successful really the metric that I want to look like, well, how is this guy playing on the field and what, what's he look like when he's playing? And it took uh, me and another strength coach having an experience when we worked with a team where the injured players who were doing good functional stuff, but not getting crushed, Mm -hmm. you know, with load, 
actually perform better in sports skill stuff than the people we've been training who weren't, weren't injured. And we took a step back and said, well, what's going on here? Wow. And that's where, that's where it was a light bulb moment for me saying that a beautifully ex- executed triple in the front squat with speed on the bar and, and everything you're looking for, the body positions you're looking for, the range of motion you're looking for will transfer to the field so much better than that grinding elbows dropping on the second rep mm-hmm. upper back starting to round and the knees caving in, but whoa, that's a 10 kilo PR. That one's not going to, that one's going to grind the athlete and it's not going to transfer to the field the way you want. You can leave that one, leave that one in the bucket, man. <laughs> do not, you do it sometimes by mistake, but that's not the one, that's not the one you want. The, yeah. And it doesn't become hard. a glove that. Yeah. Yeah. It is very hard to do that. Trust me because everybody wants well, more. Yeah, right? I was going to say, and it's easy. It's easy when you look, because I think about this just retroactively, right? Like if you look at your workout log and you see the number, you're like, oh yeah, like six months from now, you're not going to remember that that was the grindiest, ugliest rep where, right. you know, you had no business with that weight on the bar, but somehow the planets aligned and you pull it off. Yeah. You're just going to see the number and you're like, yep, good job. So it's easy. If you use it as your max and right. you start charting yep. off that thing, well, it's going to be a, yeah, it's a downward, downward, downward spiral. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, Stefan, you've been generous with your time. I know I've got to, uh, I've got to get you moving on for the rest of your life here shortly, but, and I, so I don't want to open a huge rabbit hole. So if it is, you know, we could table <laughs> it, we could table it for later, but in your role as, you know, a strength and conditioning coach for these athletes, did you have any part in addressing nutrition? Yeah, I love I love talking about nutrition with athletes. I really do. I don't, I don't know if I'm qualified, but <laughs> well, definitely I, not a let me, let me, dietitian. <laughs> I'll, I'll cue you up a little bit. And I'll, I actually told this to Pat offline. I think that you, I have so much respect for your pragmatic approach to nutrition. I've always thought that you can break that as a topic down into something that is just so simple and applicable. Um, and that is what the majority of people need. So not to uh, take yeah, too much no. of the, the conversation there, but I, I think you have a unique ability to do that. So, yeah. yeah and well, I appreciate that. And it, really my approach was very simple with the athletes. It was kind of like exercise, but kind of meet them, meet them where they are. Tell me what you're doing right now. Let's talk. What are your goals? And we would, we would have fun doing it though, you know, and, and, I think, again, the lesson I learned here was this needs to be an ongoing conversation. I never had success. Well, you have that 10% of the people where you say, just do this and they go and they do it and they're awesome. (laughs) They don't really need me, you know, (laughs) they would have found it anyways without me. But it was those people in that that middle group who weren't sure what to do, were really motivated and would, would, you know, do what you told them, but just Mm -hmm. needed guidance where if you just that little check-in when the team comes in. So you see that team three or four days a week. And every time you see that athlete, you're like, Hey, what's going on? What was breakfast this morning? Good. How, how do you feel? What's going on? Well, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm doing less of the sugars and things. I feel kind of, kind of flat. I'm well, yeah, I understand that. You know, let's see how we can manage this. Cause you're in season. Let's, let's maybe not make a big change in season. Let's reintroduce some of that stuff. You can have better choices, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It was just having that conversation every time they came in made a huge, huge difference. Uh, and so I kept it simple. You know, we papered our wall with, with, um, 
tips and thoughts on nutrition. Uh, we were always available. We told them, Hey, if you need any help, come, come talk to us. And, uh, you know, we had good role models as strength coaches. One of my, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to someone here. So the reason I'm bringing this up is it, to my knowledge, and maybe Josh had one, but the only strength coach I know who was hired because of the credential being his CrossFit level one versus CSCS was a guy um, I hired. He played baseball at the University of San Diego, great pitcher, and then uh, started getting into CrossFit and uh, compete at regionals, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, out of California, just while he volunteered for me. And then I hired him because he was so awesome. Um, I hired him. I put in, I had HR put, you know, re required, uh, required certificates or whatever. It had CSES or CrossFit level one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So, uh, cause he didn't have a CSES yet. He got it obviously since, cause you need it in this industry. Well, he has gone on now and he's the head strength coach for, uh, baseball at university of Texas. And they're going to the college world series right now. Awesome. Oh, that's so, amazing. That's a guy whose brain I want to pick because I saw his team on TV and they're big and strong and athletic at the end of a at the end of the season. Now, that guy, as soon as we hired that guy to go back to what we were talking about, um, I wasn't getting much nutrition questions anymore. <laughs> they were asking him. It 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 opened so many doors to be a good role model to be a good role yeah. model and more so they weren't asking him because he was jacked i mean the baseball guys were like we want to be like him but mm -hmm. they see him eating his lunch yeah tupperware mm. and he had stuff around and he had a, a lunch prepared and someone would come into the office to talk to me about hey they had to change their schedule and they'd look over and they'd be like hey and that conversation would start about nutrition and those are the things that don't happen if you're sitting there with you know fast food and out of shape and not yep. a, not a great role model. Those are just opportunities you make for yourself. And, and I just remember sitting at my desk going that, yeah, yeah, we got a good thing going here when, when that happened. Oh man, that's uh, Stefan. I'm so glad we made this happen, man. G genuinely uh, from the bottom of my yeah, heart. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. No, thank you guys. This was fun. It was a blast. I, I appreciate the time for sure. Well, and I will say, as we always do, you know, if you're listening to this podcast style, fantastic. But if you're on the BTWB YouTube channel, please dive into the comments. Let us know what you thought. If you've got some experiences one way or the other in the strength and conditioning world of college athletics, ideas for your future guest, all that good stuff. So, Stefan, any, any ways people can reach out with questions for you, or maybe there are some strength and conditioning coaches who were on the fence heard this and was like, ah, maybe I should learn a bit more about CrossFit. Where, where can they find you and where would you point coaches looking to learn more about CrossFit? Well, yeah, so all, all the strength coaches want to send hate mail, just send that to Bob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm happy to give you, do you guys do show notes? I can give you my email for Perfect. show notes. Yep. Easy. Happy to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I had mentioned to you one thing that um, is funny because I remember watching CrossFit Olympic lifting when it was that little video. Remember the, the workout oh, yeah. of the day finally had a video. It's like a video. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. It was about this big. You can tell what's going on. And it was Olympic lifting. It wasn't great Olympic lifting because I hadn't met with Bergner yet. Um, but over my career, what I've noticed is if I need a resource, if I need to find something out, 
the first place I look is within the CrossFit community. It's, uh, it's amazing how when there's a need in the CrossFit community, whether it is we need to get better at the Olympic lifts or we need to get better at mobility or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they grab onto that and then they become the experts in the field. And I, I will say over the years that, um, you know, I've used CrossFit as a, as a resource for, for almost anything that's come up. Uh, whether it be nutrition or, you know, programming, things like that. So I would say to coaches out there, if you're a young coach starting out, especially if you're coming out of one of these colleges where it's a uh, kinesiology program or whatever, do your schooling, do all that stuff, but then dig into some of the CrossFit stuff, whether you're going, whether you agree with CrossFit, whether you are going to run any type of CrossFit programming uh, in the traditional sense, dig into that, that main site, dig into all the articles and things that you can find out there. You will learn a lot of things that will complement whatever, whatever you're doing out there, just good, basic principles of physical training. And, uh, I mean, it's a wealth of knowledge out there and they, they give so much out there that that's the advice I'd have for someone who's starting out. Can't, can't think of a perfect, uh, way to wrap it up. So once again, awesome. Stefan, many thanks, man. I will, uh, I'll hit you up and maybe drag you into a future episode. Awesome. Yeah, I, always I, great I, to chat with you. Last. Great seeing you guys. This was fun. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Later. Bye.